Chapter 11. Speak for yourself. A challenge. He is of age. Ask him. He shall speak for himself. John 9:21. Our individuality and the personal responsibilities which fall upon us in reference to Christ must not be lost sight of. If, for instance, a spiritual miracle has been performed upon us, we are obliged to confess. No, we are delighted to confess that He has opened our eyes. We are bound, especially those of us who are of a more mature understanding, to carry our own personal testimony for Him. The allegation and the appeal may apply to each one of us. He is of age, ask Him. He shall speak for Himself. Jesus Christ bore our sins. He gave Himself for us. He served us not by proxy, but by personal devotion. Not by arms doled out pitifully, but by His life surrendered as a sacrifice to God cheerfully. In this way, He has entrusted His love to us. So what less can we do, in return, than bear our own brave, bold, personal testimony for Him? What a parallel there is between this man's case and our own! He had suffered from a grievous personal evil. He was born blind. So we were born in sin. Sin has cast its blindness over the fabric of our existence from our very birth. We will never forget the midnight of our nature. We couldn't even see the beauties of Christ Himself, though as bright as the noonday sun, because we were so blind. This man was personally delivered from his ailment, and so have we been delivered, I trust. I know many here who can say that. They were blind, but now they see. You have received, as the blind man did, a personal blessing, being gifted with sight. The blemish that blighted your life has been healed. It's not that somebody sees for you and tells you what he sees, but you see for yourself. It's not merely assigned to you that you see because you have been told what somebody else saw. You have no proxy in the matter, no sponsor in the business. You yourself are conscious that a work of grace has been performed on you. You were blind, but now you see, and you know it. The blind man was cured through personal obedience to Christ's command. He heard a special call addressed to him, Go wash in the pool. He went and came back seeing. Many here have heard the voice which says, Believe and live, and it has come to you not as a general exhortation, but as a specific command. You have believed and you live. You have washed and have come back seeing. Well now, all this is personal. Therefore, your Lord and Master has a right to expect a personal testimony from you of His power to save. You are of age. When anyone asks you, I trust you will speak for yourself. Speak up and speak out for your Master without hesitation or fear. Saved men are compelled to speak. There are times when saved men are positively compelled to speak for themselves. They must, out of necessity, carry the full weight of their personal witness. What else can they do when friends desert them? Father and mother were quite willing to claim that this young man was their son, and quite willing to bear their witness that he was born blind, but they would not go any further. They could have gone further if they liked, but they were afraid of the sentence of excommunication which the Jews had already agreed upon, that if any man confessed that Jesus was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. 
So, feeling very little regret in declining to take any responsibility themselves, because they had great confidence in their son's power to take care of himself, they abandoned him. They threw upon him the stress and full responsibility of giving a plain answer, which would bring about such disgrace. They backed out of it. They had no desire at all to become the subjects of persecution because their blind son had been blessed with sight. The young man who had been blind was required to do battle himself for the good Lord who had bestowed such a great blessing on him. Ask him, said his parents, he shall speak for himself. With many young people there are times when their parents frown upon their religion, or at least turn the cold shoulder to them. They show no sympathy with their faith or their feelings. However, some of us rejoice when our children are converted. We are not ashamed to stand by them, defend them, and protect them, whatever comes of it. But there are fathers and mothers who themselves have no love for the things of God, so their children, if they are converted, have a hard time of it. I have even known some who profess to be disciples of Christ take a step back and leave others to stand alone in the Master's cause when things become difficult. For example, in a conversation when you expected to hear an old gentleman speak up bravely for the truth of the gospel, but he didn't. You knew he was a member of a Christian church, but he very cautiously held his tongue for a long time. Then he quietly said something about not casting pearls before swine. Probably he didn't have any pearls, or possibly he was a swine himself. How else could you account for such awful cowardice? But some know what it is to be compelled by youthful passion to come out so boldly as to risk the charge of forwardness, because everybody else seemed to be deserting the doctrine whose duty it was to defend. It is tragic how many seem afraid of being compromised themselves. They say, Ask him, he shall speak for himself, while they safely retreat behind the bushes out of rifle range, never coming forward unless perchance you win the victory. Then they would most likely come forward to share the spoils. Whenever a man is placed in such a position where he finds himself deserted in the battle for Christ by those who ought to be at his back, let him despise retreat and say gallantly, I am of age, I will speak for myself, in the name of God I will bear my witness. Christian men, however reserved and awkward their natural disposition may be, are compelled to speak out when they are pressed. These Pharisees took this man and questioned him rather closely. They presented questions to him by way of examination and cross-examination. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And so on. He doesn't appear to have been disturbed or disconcerted by the questions. He acquitted himself grandly. Self-contained, quiet, shrewd, immovable, his mind was made up. And with a thorough mastery of the situation, he was ready for them. He didn't hesitate. I trust if you and I are ever required to answer questions asked of us, even though it might be with intent to entangle us, we will never be ashamed to own our Lord or to defend His cause. We could even expect to be struck with muteness if we were ever ashamed to speak of Christ when we are commanded to do it. If it comes to a challenge as to whose side I am on, could I ever hesitate to say I am with Emmanuel, the crucified Saviour? If they ever back us into a corner and say, Thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth, Mark fourteen sixty seven, oh, may God give us grace to be prompt and not think twice. Of course I was, and of course I am still. 
He is my friend, my saviour, my all in all, and I never blush to own his name. Christians must come out, and each man must bear for himself a clear and distinct testimony. When others revile and slander our Lord Jesus Christ, it becomes necessary for us to commend and sing the praises of him. They said to this man, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. John 9:24. Then he spoke gratefully with a heart bubbling up with thankfulness, He has opened my eyes. One thing I know that having been blind now I see. John 9:25. Then when they went one step further, saying, As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. He spoke up more heroically still. John 9:29. He turned upon his assailants and outwitted them with their own marvelous ignorance. Scripture Indeed, this is a marvelous thing that ye do not know where he is from, and yet he has opened my eyes. John 9:30. He fought for his master so decisively that they were willing to throw away the weapons of debate and take up stones of abuse with which to stone him. Oh, if they speak ill of Christ, will we be quiet? Shouldn't we have a word of rebuke for the blasphemer? Should we stand by as we hear the cause of Christ denounced in society, and for fear of feeble man refrain our tongue or smooth the matter over? No, let us throw the gauntlet down for Christ, and say at once, I cannot and I will not restrain myself. Now the very stones might speak. When my dear friend, my best of friends, is abused, I must and will proclaim the honors of his name. I think Christian people in this country don't take half the liberty they might. If we speak a word of religion or open our Bibles on a train or anything of that kind, they say it's all for show. They can play cards, I suppose, in a public space with no consequence. They can make the night hideous with their howling. They can utter all sorts of profanities and sing lascivious songs of their sweet will, but we are accused of being holier than thou. If we take our turn. In the name of everything that is free, we will have our turn. And every now and then I like you to sing, to their annoyance, one of the songs of Zion, because they sing the songs of Babylon loud enough to annoy us. Let's tell them that as long as we live in a land of liberty and rejoice that Christ has made us free, we will be no more ashamed of his testimonies than they are ashamed of their iniquities. When they begin to sin in private, and blush to utter a profane word, then that may be the time, no, and not even then, for us to keep our religion to ourselves. So you see, there are times when men, quiet, reserved men, must speak. They will be traitors if they don't. I don't think this blind man was at all talkative. The briefness of his replies seems to indicate that he was rather a concise speaker, but they drove him to it. He was like the stag at bay. He must fight, however gently disposed. And I think there is not likely a Christian man who has been able to go all the way to heaven while he quietly hides himself as he runs from bush to bush, skulking into glory. Christianity and cowardice! What a contradiction in terms! I think there must have been times when you felt inclined to say to yourself, Well, now, cost what it may, I may be tabooed in society, I may be ridiculed by the rough, And I may lose respect among the polite, but for Jesus Christ and for his truth I must bear witness. Then it becomes true of you, he is of age, ask him, he shall speak for himself.
Be prepared to speak for yourself. It's always good to be prepared to speak for yourself, and this man was evidently ready to do so. When his parents said, Ask him, he shall speak for himself, I think there was a little twinkle in the father's eye as he spoke, meaning to say, You'll get more than you bargained for. He can speak for himself. We've known him a good many years, and he has always had a pretty sharp reply for anybody who thought him a fool. If you think that you will get much out of him now, you are mightily mistaken. He will be more likely to upset you than you are to upset him. And as they handed him over to the inquisitors, though they were unkind, I suppose they didn't feel that he was a tender chicken that needed much of their care. So they seemed to say, He is of age, he is a grown man. Ask him. Only ask him. He will speak for himself. We give you permission. And so he did. I want to have a band of Christian people here of that same sort, who, when asked anything about their holy faith, can answer in such a way that they are not likely to be the butts of ridicule and scorn, because they will prove more than a match for their adversaries. But how, you will ask, are we to be prepared to speak for ourselves? To start with, it's good to cultivate a general habit of open-heartedness and boldness. We have no need to intrude and push ourselves into people's lives in such a way that we become a nuisance and a bore to them. Far from it. Let us walk through the world as those who have nothing to conceal, conscious of the integrity of our own motives and the rightness of our heart before God. We don't need to wear our armor and sleep in it like the knights of old. Instead, we know that truth is the best apparel. Let us show that we have nothing to hide or cover, nothing to disguise or keep secret. Let us display that the gospel has worked in us to create such an honesty and frankness of spirit that no gossip can make us blush and no foe can cause us fear. Let us tell what we believe as true, because we can vouch for its accuracy. Let us silence those who find fault with these things, but not as much by our battles as by our character. Let us prove to them that we have a solid reason for our simple protest, that we have actually received the grace in which we earnestly believe. Our words will have weight when they see that the fruit of our lives matches the flower of our profession. There is great power in this manner of answering the adversary. However, be careful when you do speak to be sure of your ground. This man was. Whether he is a sinner or not, he says, I do not know. So he offered no opinion on a subject of which he could not be quite positive. But where he had hard fact on his side, there was nothing vague in his statement. One thing I know, that having been blind, now I see. This is an argument which the most astute critic would find difficult to answer. As the blind man looked them full in the face, it was enough to bewilder them. There are some of you in whom such a drastic change of character has been worked in you that you could honestly say, I know I am not the man I used to be. My manner of life from my youth is well known to many, if they would testify. But now God, by the gospel of His Son, has opened my eyes, renewed my heart, cleansed my leprosy, and set my feet in the way of peace. Even those who scoff at the gospel are, in the cases of many of us, unable to deny the remarkable and beneficial change it has brought about. There is a righteousness here about which we need to be very uncompromising. Put your foot down and say, No, you cannot misjudge this. You may philosophize if you like, 
but it was the old-fashioned, simple gospel of the children that changed me, and made me love that which I used to hate, and hate that which I used to love. That is a thing you cannot disagree with. It's one thing I know without any doubt. And it is well, like this man, to have the facts ready to point out. Scripture A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes, and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam, and wash. And I went, and washed, and I received sight. John 9.11 Give them the plan of salvation just as you first understood it, and present it to them very simply and plainly. It's often the very best answer you can give to those who question in order to criticize and discuss with an intent to find fault. Let them have it with the thrill you had when you first heard it. Tell them how the Lord has dealt with your soul and what He has done for you. He would have to be a hard-hearted man who can sneer at the simple statement of your own conversion. The change it has brought about in you will be a fact which he cannot dispute. Though he might think you're deluded and call you an enthusiast, there is nothing as difficult for him to grapple with as your honesty and confidence. He opened my eyes. There's the point. If he opened my eyes, then he was of God. God must have been in such a thing as that because I was born blind. Give a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, to all those who oppose you. Christian men should at all times also be ready to bear abuse. Scripture, Thou wast altogether born in sins. John 9.34 I don't suppose the blind man cared one bit what they had to declare or insinuate on that score. Their scorn could not deprive him of his sight. He merely shook his head and said, I can see. I was blind, but now I see. Pharisees may abuse me, but I can see. They may tell me I am this, that, and the other, but I can see. My eyes are open. So, child of God, you may often say to yourself, I may be ridiculed. I may be mocked as Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, or schismatic, or whatever they like. It doesn't matter. I am saved. I am a changed man. The grace of God has renewed me. Let them call me whatever they like. Some people are very sensitive to ridicule. They shrink from and seem irritated at a joke, and what men call teasing grates upon them. What a baby a man is who cannot brave a fool's laugh. Stand upright, and when you go back to work, show a bold front. You that go to work at some of the big factories, and have been quizzed and poked fun at because of your religion, bolster your courage, and say, Here I am, five feet ten high, or six feet, or whatever else it may be, and should I be ashamed to be laughed at for Christ? You're not worth the boots you stand upright in, if you allow yourself to be rendered useless by their play. I have no doubt that many soldiers in the barrack room find it hard to keep up their spirits when comrades taunt them with scoff and scorn in their rough way. But after all, dear friends, shouldn't common manliness supply us with the necessary fortitude? When we've got a hold of a thing that we believe to be right, we would be showing our inexperience to let it go for fear of a giddy prank or a paltry grimace. Let them laugh. They will be tired of teasing us when they find out that our patience triumphs over their senseless tricks. Let them find some enjoyment if they can, poor simpletons. 
I sometimes feel more inclined to smile than to be upset over the jokes that are coined at my expense. Their playful antics may relieve some of the pitiful sorrows that burden their lonely hours. Melancholy holds carnival in this mad world. Ghosts and goblins haunt the happiest brain. What if, for once, they get a living object for their sport, and I become the butt of their buffoonery? There's no fear that it will harm me. The only danger is that it will hurt them. Be of that mind, dear friends, and don't care about any of their teasing. This born blind man, whose eyes were opened, was prepared to meet the Pharisees and speak up for himself because he felt intense gratitude to him who had granted him the priceless gift of sight. You see, all through the narrative, even though he didn't know much about Jesus, he felt conscious that he was his true friend, and he stuck to him through thick and thin. Now, you and I may not know much about our Lord, not one tenth of what we hope to know, but he has opened our eyes, he has forgiven our sins, he has saved our souls, and by his grace we will stick to him, come what may. If your gratitude to him is always at its full heat, Whenever you are taunted, whenever at any time you are put to the test, you will be faithful to your friend and able to say with a sound conscience, I am not ashamed to own my Lord, or to defend his cause, maintain the honor of his word, the glory of his cross. Willingly Speak for Christ Every saved man should willingly speak for himself about Christ. I have said that you will be driven to it. I have also asked you to be prepared for it when you are driven to it. Now I have to urge that you should willingly do it. Aren't we all indebted to Christ if indeed He has saved us? How can we acknowledge that debt if we are ashamed of Him? His testimony is, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16, 16. Does the baptism save us? No but he who believes is bound to be baptized, so that he may in this way confess his Lord, because baptism is the answer of a good conscience towards God. It is the disciple's grateful response to his master's gracious call. You know how it is written, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Romans 10, 9. I have no right to refuse to confess if I inwardly believe. Why should I? If I owe so much to him, should I, can I, think of not confessing him? If there were a commandment issued that we were not to own our Lord, that we were to tell no man, that we must hide the secret from family, friends, and neighbors, it would be most distressing to me. But he does command us to own him, and bear our testimony to him. We honor the command, we consider it most appropriate and fitting, and we cheerfully obey it. Is it not so? We should each willingly speak up for Christ, because each one of us knows most about what He has done for us. No one here knows all that He has done for me. I think I hear you say, That's true, but then you don't know what He did for us. No, we are over head and ears debtors to Him. Oh, what mercy He has shown to some of us! If the world could know our state before conversion, it might almost make our hair stand on end to read the story of our lives. How the grace of God has changed us! Oh, what a change! 
If ravens become doves, and lions become lambs, your theologians might expound or mystify the phenomenon in a word or two of Greek terminology. But this conversion is what we see every day, and scientific men are silent, while scoffers only want to ridicule it. The change is infinitely greater than when dry bones are raised and clothed with flesh. When stones begin to melt and run into streams is nothing compared to the regeneration we have experienced. We must tell it. We must talk about it. We know more about it than others, and we are bound to be the honest narrators of the wondrous narrative. The more individual testimonies are attributed to Christ, the more weight there is in the accumulated force of the great aggregate. If I bear witness for Christ in the name of you all, saying, The Lord has done great things with us, of which we shall be glad, I hope there is some honor to Christ and some influence to take effect. Psalm 126, 3. But if ten, twenty, thirty, or fifty were to rise one after the other and say, The Lord has done great things for me, and each one were to tell his own tale, how much more conviction would be demonstrated. I heard of a lawyer in the United States who attended an experience meeting among his neighbors. He was a skeptic, if not a thorough unbeliever, when he entered the place. But he sat with his pencil and took notes of the statements of his neighbors. When he reviewed the evidence afterwards, he said to himself, If I had these twelve or thirteen people in the witness box on my side, I would feel quite sure of winning my case. I live among them. They are not the most educated people I have ever met, but they are very honest, trustworthy, and plain-spoken people. And even though each one has told his tale, they all come to the same point and all bear witness to one fact, that there is such a thing as the grace of God, and that it does change the heart. Well, I am bound to believe it after all this testimony. And he believed, and became a Christian. Of this I am certain, that if Christian people shared their testimony regarding the power of Jesus Christ in their hearts more often, the cumulated witness would influence many thoughtless minds, and multitudes would come to believe in Jesus. The Holy Spirit delights to own and bless the true stories only you can tell. Some of you will probably say, They can do without my story. No, my friend. We cannot discard your evidence, because the different experiences are as numerous as the individuals converted, although there is unity in the operation of the Holy Spirit. Our Lord opened the eyes of many blind men, and He unstopped the ears of many deaf people. He loosed the tongues of many who were dumb, and we can't even count how many lepers He cleansed. But each patient could tell you his own symptoms and the tiniest details of his own healing. Your story, too, has its special appeal as it contributes to the general narrative. Minimally, you would be sorry if it were not so. Scripture? The Lord shall count when he writes up the peoples that this one was born there. Psalm 87, 6. I know you would like your name to be mentioned then, and I think it would be worth your while now to mention the mercies you have received in just the manner you received them. To speak for myself, I believe that God, in converting me, revealed a way of His own that exactly suited my need. My case was enough like yours to produce sympathy, and so unlike yours as to be uniquely special, and I am sure it was the same with each one of you. Your career, your character, your circumstances are each different. 
As a great master seldom paints the same picture twice, so the master artist, God, seldom, I think, never, works precisely the same in any two hearts. There is a difference, and in that difference there is an illustration of the manifold wisdom of God. This is why we want your story. Besides, your testimony may touch the heart of somebody like you. Little Mary over there says, Well, I'm nobody. I'm only a nursemaid. The Lord Jesus Christ has cleansed me and made me His, it's true, but you can do without my tale. No, Mary, we can't. Perhaps your testimony will be exactly what another little lass like yourself needs to hear. A little maid waited on Naaman's wife. Who but she could have told her mistress that there was healing for Naaman, or that he could go to a prophet in Israel and be made whole? Tell your story, gently, quietly, and at the proper times, but let it be known. Oh, says the old man, but I am so feeble now. You could get along without my saying anything. No, Father William, we cannot. You are just the man whose few words have full weight. You are presented every now and then with choice opportunities of leading souls to the Saviour. I am too old to think about these things, says one. But you could tell how the Lord has dealt with you in your old age, and maybe it will strike home. You working men, if you were all to speak up for Christ, as I know many of you do, what an effect would be produced, and what an influence you would have on others like you. Of course, when they hear us preach, they say, Oh, well, you know, he's a parson. He says it professionally. It's his business to say it. But when you tell of what the Lord has done for you, it becomes what people talk about. It is repeated over and over again. I know what Tom says when he gets home. He says to his wife Mary, What do you think of that Jack that I've been working with? Why, he's been talking to me about his soul. He says his sin is forgiven him, and he seems to be such a happy man. You know that he used to drink and swear the same as I do, but he's a wonderfully different man now, and from what I see, there must be something to it. Well, he asked me to his home the other night, and I noticed that his place is very different from ours. There, you hold your tongue, Mary will answer up pretty sharply. If you brought your wages home to me regularly every week, I could budget them for you better. Ah, he says, and that's what I've been thinking. It's just because he's a religious man that he brings his wages home. I think there's something real about his conversion. Do you know he doesn't drink like I do? He doesn't involve himself with all manner of foolishness? I wouldn't have thought so much about it if the parson had spoken to me. But now I really do think there is something good and genuine in the grace he talks about. You and I had better go next Sunday evening to the tabernacle or somewhere else and hear about it for ourselves. There are many, many souls brought to Christ in that way. We cannot do without your testimony, Jack, because your conversation is suitable to others like you. And you, your ladyship, you say, I love the Lord, but I don't think I could possibly say anything in my circle and walk of life. Couldn't you? Ah, but I am sure you will easily surmount this little difficulty if you attain a little more growth in grace. We had one among us whose rank entitled her to move in an upper sphere of society, but she preferred the humble companionship of the church. Her silvery locks some of you well remember. She has left us now and has gone home to glory. Her lot was cast among the aristocracy, but with gentle, quiet, bland simplicity she introduced the gospel wherever she went. 
Many have come to these pews to listen to your minister who would have never been here if it weren't for her calm, beautiful, unobtrusive, holy life, and the nerve with which, anywhere, at any time, she could say, Yes, I am a Christian. What's more, I am a nonconformist. And what you will think is even worse, I am a Baptist. And what you will think is worst of all, I am a member of the tabernacle. She never blushed to own our blessed Redeemer's name or to acknowledge and befriend the lowliest of his disciples. You would do well to follow the example of her faith. In whatever circle we move, let us strive to become centers of influence. So I have tried to show you, dear friends, that each one has a witness to bear. It's a privilege to be prized and a duty to be fulfilled, because the gift you have received qualifies you for the service you are asked to render. Suppose the soldier, when he marched to battle, were to say, I don't need to load my gun, I don't need to fire in the day of battle, because I see that on the right and on the left there are good marksmen picking off the enemy. Yes, but when you are in full battle, your bullet has got its barrel, and the barrel for your bullet is not the barrel for any other bullet. So let it go, let it go. We must all fire, brethren. Not some, but all must fire, and our charge must be this. One thing I know, that having been blind, now I see. For this reason I bear witness to my Lord. Let anyone who wants criticize, but he has opened my eyes. Intend to do it. Finally, just as every Christian, being of age, has to speak for himself, we intend to do it. For my own part, I intend to do so. That which I believe to be true, I have spoken to you from my youth up. There have been times when I have offended a good many. I will offend a good many more, I hope, because that's not a matter I have ever taken into consideration. Is this true? Is it a necessary truth? Is it essential that it be spoken plainly and published widely? Away it goes, like a hand grenade flung into the midst of the crowd. May every minister of Christ, and I trust the rightness of this approach will be more and more recognized, take courage to speak for his master. I pray that they would speak without restraint in the name of him that sent him, in the name of God, with a courage that befits his commission. A trembling lip and a cowardly countenance in a minister shows him to be unworthy of the office which he pretends to hold. We must set our faces like a flint and bear testimony to the truth, to the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, as far as God shall teach it to us. And won't you also take up this resolution, We are of age, and we intend to speak for ourselves. You can't all preach, and I hope you won't all try. What a world of turmoil and disorder we would have if every man and woman felt a call to preach! We would have a church of all mouth, and then there would be a vacuum somewhere. There would be no hearers left if everybody became a preacher. It is not to seek recognition in public assemblies, but to exert influence in private society that you are called. By good conversation, with a speech seasoned with salt, at home, among friends, family, or companions, to a dozen or to one, make known what love has done, what grace has done, what Christ has done. Make it known among your servants, among your children, among the people you do business with. Wherever you go, make it known. Wear your uniform wherever you go. I don't like to see a Christian soldier ashamed to show the scarlet. Oh, no, 
put it on. It is an honor to serve His Majesty. If there is anything in Christianity that you are ashamed of, get out of it. Don't pretend to believe if you are afraid of betraying your profession. But if you do receive the gospel and believe it as the revelation of God, never be embarrassed to own it, but be brave to proclaim it at all times and in all places. Well, says one, I am so passive. I know you are, brother. Come then, drop a little of your modesty and distinguish yourself a little more for your manliness. I've told you about the soldier who was passive in the day of battle. They shot him for being a coward. It's not acceptable to be passive when duty calls or where danger summons you to the front. I have heard of a man with the face of a lion and the heart of a deer. Beware of a too passive disposition. Disreputable things are sometimes disguised in polite words. So reserve may be dastardly, and caution may be cowardly. Be valiant for your lord and master. Don't play the traitor's part by your silence. Ashamed of Jesus, that dear friend, on whom my hopes of heaven depend. No, when I blush, be this my shame, that I no more revere his name. Break the ice now, and speak to somebody about this blessed message. Will you resolve to do so? Take care that you don't put it off until your heart grows cool, and the words you plan to say freeze on your lips. Do it, and it will grow on you. You will come to greet the opportunity as much as you now shrink back from the necessity. It will bless your life. I think it is Horatius Bonar who says, He liveth long who liveth well, all else is being flung away. He liveth longest who can tell of true things truly done each day. Be what thou seemest, live thy creed, hold up to earth the torch divine. Be what thou prayest to be made, let the great master's steps be thine. Fill up each hour with what will last, buy up the moments as they go. The life above, when this is past, is the ripe fruit of life below. Waste not thy being back to him who freely gave it, freely give. Else is that being but a dream. Tis but to be, and not to live. Dear friends, some of you who are believers in Christ have never yet confessed Him. I hope that you will resolve from this moment to proclaim yourselves to be His disciples and become His faithful followers. You are of age. Yes, one says, I am of rather full age, for I am over fifty. Others of you are older than that, and even though you are believers in Christ, you have never confessed Him. It will not do, brother, it will not do to die with, and it doesn't do to think of now. When He comes, they will be happy who are not ashamed of Him. But when He comes in His glory with all His holy angels, trembling will take hold of those who thought and said they loved Him, but never dared to bear reproach for His name's sake or to suffer shame for the gospel. I hope these reflections will make you very uneasy and prompt you to say, Please God, I will join a Christian church before this week is over. If you are a believer in Christ, I urge you not to play games with the voice of conscience, but to pay your vows to the Most High. Sadly, there are some of you who cannot speak for Christ in any way at all, because you don't know Him. He never opened your eyes. Never try to talk of matters you don't understand or pretend to bear witness to mercies you have not experienced. 
The Christ we preach is not only the Christ of history who was crucified, dead, and buried. He is also a living Christ, right now among us still, by His Spirit, changing our natures, turning and guiding the direction of our thoughts and our lives, purifying our wishes and motives, teaching us to love each other, admonishing us to be pure, entreating us to be gentle, and giving us a heart to aspire after those things that are above instead of groveling among those things that are below. If you have never met this Christ, you cannot bear witness as to His power. But He is to be found. Trust in Him. He is divine, the Son of God. His blood is the blood of the great sacrifice of which Moses spoke, and all the prophets bear witness. He is the last great sacrifice of God. Come and trust Him. And when you trust Him, that trust will be like the woman touching the hem of His garment. No sooner had she touched Him than she was made whole, because power went out of Him. That power still proceeds from His sacred person whenever the simple touch of faith brings the sinner into contact with the Savior. I pray that the Lord would lead you to believe in Jesus, and when you have believed through grace, come forward and confess His name. In this way you will be numbered with His saints now and in glory everlasting.